Right, go ahead with the logic. Okay, Mark, logic one and two, Mark. Houston, we are set. We have a cryo press light. Roger, copy, cryo press light. Apollo 11, this is uh, Houston. Minus 10, 9, 8. We have a go for main engine start. We have main engine start. 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello and welcome to Space Gen, the show where you find out all the latest from the space industry. You can catch our episodes on X-Ray FM every Wednesday at 8 a.m. or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and let's get into the news. Wow, have we got some big news from SpaceX. SpaceX just took giant leap forward on its quest to launch astronauts. They just intentionally destroyed one of their Block 5 Falcon 9 rockets this weekend as part of a crucial test for the Crew Dragon capsule's launch escape system. So the Falcon must die so the Dragon can fly. And really, this was the last major hurdle SpaceX needed to clear before the Crew Dragon can begin to carry actual astronauts to and from the International Space Station. It was originally scheduled to launch on January 18th, but the unpiloted crew capsule was grounded for 24 hours due to an unfavorable weather condition at both the launch site and the Crew Dragon recovery zone, which was the Atlantic Ocean just off the Florida coast. The weather forecast was rescheduled for the next day on the 19th, but that also looked kind of similar, with chances of favorable conditions at liftoff worsening. However, the weather miraculously cleared up and SpaceX was able to lift off at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. There was excited onlookers and they were all watching, they had their cameras poised in the grassy area at the NASA press site, and then the Falcon 9 roared to life, triggering car alarms, shaking nearby buildings, and after the planned launch abort was triggered, 84 seconds into the flight, there was a massive fireball. A few moments later, a sonic boom echoed through the sky. The Falcon 9 exploded as expected, and a second sonic boom was heard when its remnants hit the ocean. Onlookers were hoping to see the Crew Dragon descend under parachute, but unfortunately there was a lot of clouds and that was obstructing the view. But let's talk about actually what the whole mission was about. So the mission starred the unpiloted crew capsule and that blasted off from NASA's Kennedy Space Center over in Florida atop the Falcon 9 rocket, which is a thrice flown first stage. Before meeting its demise today, this booster made three trips to space in 2018, lofting the first Bangladesh satellite, an Indonesian communication satellite, and then a rideshare mission that launched a stack of 64 satellites. This was the first booster that SpaceX had produced on the new Block 5 platform, and after serving the company quite well, it went out obviously with a big bang, destroyed by Dragonfire. Uh, the IFA mission was designed to test the Crew Dragon's Super Draco-powered abort system, which obviously pulls the capsule free of its launcher in the event of an emergency during flight. Kathy Luders, who's NASA's commercial crew program manager, said, We're purposely failing a launch vehicle to make sure our abort system works. That's a very, very different way for us to formally conduct a mission. 
When NASA retired its space fleet, obviously the big space shuttles in 2011, the agency looked at the commercial sector to ferry crews up and down from the space station, and it selected SpaceX and Boeing as its future space taxi providers. Each of these two companies has built their own spacecraft capable of safely carrying crew under a series of contracts. The most recent of two, announced in September 2014, are worth a total of $6.8 billion. Once operational, the two vehicles, which is SpaceX's Crew Dragon and Boeing's CST-100 Starliner, will be NASA's primary means of transporting astronauts to and from space. SpaceX launched its first Crew Dragon mission, which was the unpiloted test flight to the station, back in March 2019. Crew Dragon's in-flight abort test was delayed when the same capsule exploded during the ground test in last April, forcing months of investigation. We heard all about that in the news, and there was a lot of upgrades and a series of successful test fires that had to be done, all in way to make for this weekend's launch. In 2019, Boeing also launched a pad abort test of its own Starliner spacecraft, as well as an unpiloted test flight to orbit. That orbital flight test, however, did not reach the space station, and it was all due to the mission clock software, and it all got sorted out after. But despite all these hurdles, both SpaceX and Boeing aim to launch their first crewed missions later this year. But before that can happen, both companies must prove their vehicles have what it takes to keep astronauts safe during flight. In-flight anomalies are quite rare, but they do happen, and as we saw back in October 2018, Back then, NASA astronaut Nick Haig and Russian cosmonaut Alexei Ovechkin were on their way to the International Space Station when their launcher, which was the Soyuz, experienced an in-flight anomaly. Now, the duo were carried to safety by the Soyuz abort system, and NASA wants to ensure that if one of SpaceX's Falcon 9 rockets were to have a similar problem, the astronauts would still be brought home safely. And this is what this whole in-flight abort test is all about. SpaceX said in a mission statement that, quote, For this test, Falcon 9's sent trajectory will mimic a Crew Dragon mission to the International Space Station to best match the physical environments of the rocket and spacecraft what they'll encounter during the normal ascent. However, unlike a normal flight, SpaceX programmed its Crew Dragon to intentionally trigger a launch escape just shortly after Max-Q, which is the moment of maximum aerodynamic stress on the rocket. Embedded on the outer hull of Dragon Crew Capsule are eight engines called Super Dracos. If the vehicle's computers sense that something is amiss during flight, they'll trigger these thrusters to fire. Then, the Super Dracos will push the Dragon Crew up away from the rocket, and once the capsule is a safe distance away, the Crew Dragon will deploy its parachutes and land into the Atlantic Ocean, where recovery vessels will retrieve the crew and the capsule. Now, that's exactly what happened during today's test. The capsule blasted free of the rocket ride less than 90 seconds after liftoff, and less than five minutes in, Crew Dragon deployed its drogue chutes, and then the four main chutes followed after. The capsule splashed down softly about 20 miles off the Florida coast about nine minutes after launch. Though there's lots of analysis to follow through on, everything seemed to go exactly as planned today. SpaceX principal integration engineer John Insprucker said, It looks like, right now, a great test. Benji Reed, who's SpaceX's director of crew mission management, said prior to the launch, This is a big test for us. It's a test of the system that's supposed to test the crews and a very important step in making progress towards crew transportation to the International Space Station. 
After a data review, SpaceX hopes that NASA will clear the Crew Dragon to carry humans, and once that happens, SpaceX will fly two NASA astronauts, first of which will be Bob Behnken and Doug Hurley, to the International Space Station for a two-week stay during a test mission called Demo-2. If that initial crew flight goes smoothly, NASA will greenlight the Dragon and begin to use it as regular crewed flights. Now Elon's kind of got some news and it's been all over Twitter. And there's quite a lot to go through actually. So in a series of tweets, Elon kind of revealed new details about his plan to build a city of 1 million people on Mars by 2050. So he hopes to build a thousand starships, which is obviously as we know, the big towering, fully reusable spaceship that SpaceX is developing right now in South Texas. And that's he's kind of planning for a hundred starships per year as production. Eventually, the goal is to launch an average of three starships per day to make the trip to Mars even more available to anybody. Now, he very, very importantly wrote, there needs to be such that anybody can go if they want with loans available for those that don't have money. And I mean, if that's not enough to convince you to leave Earth behind, I don't know what will. Starship's gonna be the most powerful launch system ever created. Each launch is gonna pack enough thrust to send more than 100 tons, so that's about seven fully loaded school buses worth of mass and 100 people into orbit at a time. Now, Musk didn't specify exactly uh, what the rockets would be needing to actually carry to Mars initially, but obviously it would be a lot of food, water, building materials, tools, advanced life support systems, that's kinda all given. So the most important thing is actually getting stuff there. And as he said on Twitter, megatons per year to orbit are needed for life to become multiplanetary. He also said that he plans to capitalize on the brief windows of time that orbits Earth and Mars and get very close. And that happens about every 25 months. That allows the spacecraft to spring off Earth's rotation and set themselves on a very low fuel journey towards Mars. He said that they would take advantage of that opportunity by loading the Mars fleet into Earth orbit then sending the, you know, however many starships on a Mars-bound trajectory over a 30-day window every 26 months. So that does seem to contradict an earlier tweet in which Musk said that a thousand starships would need to fly to Mars each year rather than every 26 months. So either way, SpaceX, they have a long way to go before reaching those goals. But Musk said a new starship prototype may launch before the end of March. That's this year. Back on December 27th, he tweeted, first flight hopefully in two to three months. So we're, we're very, very close to now getting the final prototype. The development of the prototype has had a couple of delays. As we know, there was the accidental explosion of the fuel tank pressurization test on November 20th, which blew the top of the 16-story Starship prototype. And it's not far too far to imagine that they could build about 20 different prototypes before engineers settle on the 1.0 design to send cargo and people off. So, but the full Starship launch system, that would also include a 22-story rocket booster called the Super Heavy, which we've talked about before. And the whole thing would stand all together at 118, so 118 meters tall. It's massive. And the most critical part to it is how much is it gonna cost? And we know now that a single launch would cost just $2 million. 
that is so much cheaper than just even like the, the Falcon 9 system. He said in September that he hopes to launch the Starship into orbit mid-2020 and maybe even fly a person on it before the end of the year. Now, Gwyn Shotwell, who is the President and Chief Operating Officer of SpaceX, said during a NASA teleconference that the company was, quote, aiming to be able to drop Starship on the lunar surface by 2022. And then obviously they've got to fly the Japanese tech entrepreneur and billionaire Yuzako Mizawa around the moon for 2023. Lastly, he wrote, helping to pay for this is why I'm accumulating assets on Earth. And if we're honest, he's doing a pretty good job of that right now and everything seems to be going to plan. So not too long, I think we might even see it mid 2020, we're gonna see the big Starship launch and that really is going to mark the start of an interplanetary human species. Now, one thing that we probably want to take with us is a bit of oxygen. We're going to need that to survive. And it looks like the European Space Agency has actually found a way to produce oxygen from lunar dust from the moon. Now, they took samples of real lunar dust and they, they actually found 40 to 45% of oxygen by weight. So the team just opened a prototype oxygen plant inside the European Space Research and Technology Lab in the Netherlands. And Beth Lomax, who's at the University of Glasgow, said, quote, being able to acquire oxygen resources found on the moon would obviously be hugely useful for future lunar settlers, both for breathing and for the local production of rocket fuel. But how does this actually work? Well, their prototype system mixes stimulated lunar regolith, and they've yet to try it with the real thing, uh, with molten calcium chloride salt. Now, the scientists heat the mixture up to about 950 degrees Celsius and run it through a current, and that releases oxygen. Now, this process is called molten salt electrolysis. Now, the electrolysis process has another useful byproduct, which is metal alloys. So, the scientists are investigating applications to make best use of these alloys on the moon. I mean, imagine you could maybe use it in a 3D printer, maybe as the melted down material to make little objects. The team is looking to design a, quote, pilot plant that could operate on the moon by the mid-2020s. So either way, this is very interesting work and it could possibly lead to some really cool other tech that we could use here on Earth. Lastly, we have the new US Space Force. So obviously it's it's been kind of big news. It's the newest, it's the freshest military branch and they've got their name tapes for the US Space Force which are gonna be attaching to their uniforms. But the larger point is that the name tapes are gonna be on the same kind of camouflage uniforms that are already in use by the Army and the Air Force. Now, the branch posted, quote, the USSF is utilizing current Army and Air Force uniforms, saving costs designing and producing a new one. Now, plenty of Twitter users responded with some wisecracks, and they had some questions about the space's focus on camouflage. I mean, camo in space, that was what somebody said. More wasted tax dollars, great job. So, I mean, there was some other comments, but I won't go through all of them, but others thought more creatively. You know, what if we had a uniform that called for something like Starfleet, you know, a Star Trek inspired thing? But the Space Force Twitter manager noted these and pointed out that not only was the branch trying to be cost effective, but members aren't exactly in space yet. Quote, members will look like their joint counterparts they'll be working with on the ground. 
So some active duty airmen currently in the Air Force, you know, they've got the already existing Space Command, will be assigned to the new branch, but will remain in the Air Force for the time being. So a US Air official said, you know, some five to 6,000 personnel out of the 16,000 will eventually be transferred to Space Force. But either way you look at it, I think the main thing is we actually have now a US Space Force. That's pretty cool. And this is only the first month of 2020. There's a lot more that can happen. And I think it's gonna be worth it to just watch this space and see what happens next. Again, this is all news we just had in the last week. This is how quick things are starting to move, and as I've said before, we really are heading into a new space age. So if you like hearing about the news, make sure to tune in every Wednesday at 8am on X-Ray FM, or on SoundCloud by searching Space Gen. I'm your host, Daniel Trainer, and I'll see you next time.